0: Welcome back to the TV Line Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Michael Asiello. Continuing our Dream Emmy-themed interview series, I'm thrilled to welcome This Is Us leading lady, Mandy Moore, whose work throughout Season 2, but particularly in the heartbreaking post-Super Bowl episode, was, in a word, revelatory. Mandy, welcome. Hi, thank you. I re-watched Two episodes of season two in preparation for this interview, I rewatched the 20s and the post-Super Bowl episode, which are your finest hours, I feel like, (laughs) um, of the season, potentially of the series. Um, And so much attention is on the Super Bowl episode, and I want to get to that. But your work in the 20s is really kind of incredible, too, particularly... The scene in the hospital where you first meet Randall for the first first time. Oh. Little Randall. Thanks. Um, how challenging is it to have a scene with an infant? And was there actually an infant you were acting opposite? Because, you know, when the camera cuts, we see a baby there, but who knows what you're acting opposite.
1: Yeah. Honestly, that was one of the more challenging scenes because I think the one you're referring to, it's sort of this weird duality of a monologue where I'm speaking to baby Randall And it's this momentous moment in my life where I'm introducing myself to this child that I've decided to adopt into my family. And then simultaneously, I'm also, the mirror image of that is becoming a grandmother for the first time and, like, speaking to my granddaughter and introducing myself to her. Um, And it was challenging because those were obviously, those two interloping scenes um, were shot at two different times and... um, It's so difficult, like, with, obviously, um, um, laws around uh, child actors. Like, you can Mm -hmm. only get babies on set for a very, very short amount of time, as it should be. So I think you have literally, like, a 20-minute block, like all together throughout the course of the day to actually use an infant. Wow. So I didn't get to work with the infant at all. Um, They only obviously shot the baby at the baby's coverage. So when the camera's like over my shoulder onto the baby, those shots, obviously the child was there for. But all of my work in that scene was to a very unsettling and creepy animatronic baby. Oh, my God yeah so you're like having this like purging this super emotional scene and there's like a man in the corner of the room like off behind the camera who's like remote controlling this baby who's sort of like vibrating and like kind of making like these mock weird they turn the sound off but you hear like the robotics and the body moving and it's so bizarre
0: would it not be easier just to have a doll there
1: yes at a certain point i think they needed it for like a certain shot like to kind of just see that the baby was moving, um, you know, when the camera is sort of on me, but kind of over the baby a little bit. So you saw just a little bit of movement in the background. When they did get closer, they changed it out to just like a, a baby doll. Yeah. But yeah, they really like threw me through a loop with that one.
0: Well, it it makes it even more impressive of a performance oh. knowing that because it's <laughs> like I, I, I can't imagine how you just shut everything out and be able to just... Focus on, yeah, on the, and, and you know, sort of transport yourself into this moment. But it was so beautiful, and it was so subtle, and and the directing in that scene was so good because you're right—the way they juxtaposed those two moments, yeah—was um, really kind and of and find the common ground
1: between them. Yeah, right. I think it all comes down to the words. It always does with with a show like this. It's just about family and the human condition and connection. It's the, we're so unbelievably lucky that we have you know dan fogelman at the helm and all of our incredible writers because it's like that's all you have to lean on in a scene like that you know when you're working with an animatronic baby it's like all of that be damned like as long as as what you're saying really lands and means something then you're you know you do the best you can
0: how um long did it take you to sort of get comfortable in grandma rebecca's like skin Uh, Because I have to imagine that was a a challenge, at least in the beginning, you know, the movements and, you know, how do you portray someone who's 50 years older than you or 40 years older than you? Yeah. How how did you come to sort of connect with that particular character and develop the rhythms of it?
1: Um, I did a lot of just observing people around me that sort of were in that age range in like their early, mid 60s. Um, I did a little bit of work initially with like a physicality coach because that was the most daunting challenge to me was uh, obviously, you know, I feel incredibly lucky that I get to to inhabit this woman in so many different like junctures of her life. But I have no point of reference for what Obviously, uh, a, a widowed woman in her, you know, late sixties. Who's a grandmother? Who's also lost a child? Who's remarried? Who has adult children? Like, just so many things that I have no no point of reference for. Um, but I worked with this physicality coach initially because I wanted to be able to delineate between. Mm-hmm you know, Rebecca as, as a young mother, and then obviously Rebecca in, in present day and in, in sort of the prime of her life, because I feel like she is still very vital, like, you mm-hmm. know, mid to late 60s, like somebody, somebody's still like very much living their best life. Um, so I didn't, I didn't want her to feel like an old sort of decrepit woman physically, but I knew that I wanted to sort of feel the difference. So we, we talked a lot about and I thought a lot about like where your energy emanates from. And as a young mother, initially when we first started the show, it's like I, I imagined my energy coming like directly from my heart and directly from my hands. And this sounds so silly and actor But as I got older, like the wisdom and clarity that comes with age, like I feel like she stands a little taller. She walks a little like firmer and more confident because you just know who you are and you don't care as much you know Um, but I also just thought about the energy and the wisdom sort of like emanating from the top of her head like if you took the lampshade off a lamp how the light bulb just you know shines the light directly at the ceiling I thought about that and just Thought about like just making very precise movements like with my feet. I I initially did a little thing where I thought about like maybe Rebecca has a bit of like arthritis in in Mm. her dominant hand. So I would kind of think about just giving myself something to concentrate on and think about like in scenes. It was the second episode of season one. I had a scene with Ron Cephas Jones. (laughs) And it was, it was the, the true test of like whether or not I was going to be able to play this character and if everybody believed it or if they were going to cast an actress to play the older iteration of Rebecca. And we had had like 10 different hair and makeup tests and I remember going on set for the first time and... I had, I had sort of—we just were starting the show, and I had only kind of lived on our set and our house, which was on like the stage next door. And here I was, like in Randall's home, like pacing the hallway of his of his home. And Sterling was there, like just watching. I think, and I was so nervous, but and obviously to act opposite Ron Cevjus Jones as well it was like just jumping right into the deep end. Um, but once I got through that scene, and everybody was like, "This is gonna work." that kind of gave me a cue and a sigh of relief of, like, okay, I guess I kind of can, like, move forward and I sort of know what I'm doing. Um, and it's just, like, progressively gotten more and more comfortable because I feel like there's so much inherent challenge and difficulty. Like, this the scenes that we've had to do and sort of what we've kind of explored of Rebecca at that age, especially in the first season, was like you know, keeping the secret from Randall and like keeping the secret alive with William. And then, you know, we're at Thanksgiving dinner where it's all exposed and then Christmas and then he's sick. And it was just, I I sort of like had no choice but to try and jump in and stay on my A game with everybody else, you know? So now, now I go through like hair and makeup and I know it's three and a half hours or four hours to like get into present day, like older Rebecca. And it kind of allows me the the you know sort of zen time to myself to like get in my head and really think about where i am but for the most part like all of the other age ranges i'm like okay milo's getting a you know a a goatee at the end or he's getting a beard like it just sort of like helps me helps me get into that frame of mind
0: just, just simply by like what what our hair and makeup is i guess so you were in a way still auditioning for rebecca old Rebecca after you were cast.
1: Well, because the crazy thing was, you know, you do a pilot and you have no idea like what the trajectory of the show is. So I had just read that first episode and we didn't know like what the show was going to consist of. We learned pretty early on in the process, like, okay, it's obviously the story of this family, but we, I thought it was just, was going to be told like linearly. I didn't think that we would be jumping around in time. So about two weeks before we started shooting, Dan emailed me and was like, so I have this crazy idea where I think I want you to try and play Rebecca present day. So you'll be in your mid-60s and we're going to get you the best prosthetics and wig and we'll go through the whole process. And if I or any of like the executive producers or powers that be don't buy it 100%, No stress, no worries. Not saying that, like, you can't do it, but, like, if it doesn't look right, if it... The show is so grounded that I think their fear, obviously, mine was as well. Like, I didn't want to sort of stick out like a sore thumb and for people to be like, what am I watching? What? Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. So... um, the 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 idea was as long as, like, nothing pulled you out of the show, then we would get the go-ahead.
0: So, so he tells you this. What's your first reaction? My first
1: reaction was, what my gut reaction was I was terrified of, like, messing it up. I was terrified that, like... I was going like in this otherwise like incredible show with like the, the 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 storytelling and these performances that I was going to be like the one person who didn't know what they were doing and people laughed at like this bad wig and makeup and I was just scared that I wasn't going to be able to like step up to the plate and really pull it off. Mm-hmm. So getting through that, like, I mean, we did so many hair makeup tests. They had long wigs. I had short wigs. I had gray wigs. I had, like, I I looked 85. I looked 55. Like, it was such a Goldilocks and the Three Bears kind of situation (laughs) until we finally settled on what you see on the show. Um, And there have subsequently been tweaks along the way even for that. But uh, once we got through that initial scene with Ron and it was like I looked around and everybody kind of like gave me the thumbs up, I, was, I, I obviously was like, okay, I can do this.
0: <laughs> so the Super Bowl episode, you get a script like this. What goes through your head when you read the <sighs> material and you see what is being asked of you?
1: I remember we were all on set. Um, or I was shooting a scene with John Huertes, who plays Miguel, and I and Justin. So it was like present day. We were in our prosthetic makeup. And these – because, like, you know, people have been have been wondering this gigantic secret about how Jack passes away for the entirety of the show at this point. The script was printed on red paper because that's impossible to photocopy. And they had to hand-deliver the scripts to us. So we get these hand-delivered scripts to us while we're on set working – and we all like have been chatting and hanging out and instantly everyone like goes to different corners in the room and like peels it open and starts reading it right away. And we're in tears, like I'm in tears and it's a sort of happy scene that we're shooting. So I'm like, I can't read this right now. Um, I felt really excited and daunted at the prospect of what, just the whole thing, the fire and how we were gonna shoot it, how we were gonna keep the secret. Um, I knew that you know everything was there on the page for all of us that like it wouldn't be hard to get there emotionally but I also felt really like this tremendous sense of responsibility to deliver on that moment because it is such a huge catalyst not just for the show and the audience but like for this family like this is this is this moment that like everything that sort of happens in the history of this family before and after this moment so I Wanted to make sure that I I was able to deliver that properly and and feel the weight of it and help the audience feel the weight of it. So I knew that it was coming for a long time, but I didn't know sort of the circumstances around it necessarily, like the candy bar detail and yeah. and just how it all was gonna sort of unfold. Um, but I thought it was beautiful, and I was so excited that like you know we were all gonna be in this. On this journey together to tell this like very important episode for this family
0: the scene with the candy bar where you're sitting down with the doctor and Mm -hmm. it's really amazing to watch all of the shifts that you go through you know from everything's fine to something's not right here to anger at this couldn't possibly be happening it's it's so beautiful what you do and so subtle how what was it like how many times did you have to shoot that scene what preparation did you do? Did you lose anyone in a situation like that where you yeah. did go through those emotions?
1: Thank goodness, knock on wood, I haven't. So I don't really have any like personal, real-life experience to bring to a situation like this. Um, we didn't shoot a ton of coverage. Um, Glo- uh, Glon. <laughs> John and Glenn, who are two of our executive producers and who shot the pilot and shot the Memphis episode and they're incredible film directors and... Um, they, they did this episode. And so because we have this, this history with them and familiarity, it was really comfortable. And I felt like I was in, you know, excellent hands with them. They don't shoot a ton of coverage. They know exactly what they want and how to get it. And I think because like there was so much preparation around this particular scene, I was so, um, just in the moment I got my, I like, I remember waking up that day knowing like, this is a big day because we had a couple of days at the hospital maybe that was a different episode we shot a lot at this one particular hospital but um i knew it was a big day because i had the scene with Milo where we were sitting together sort of our last interaction while he's alive with the doctor then i had the scene with the doctor and then i had sort of the breakdown scene at the hospital and then i had subsequently like kind of the rest of the montage bits of me signing all of the paperwork and getting his belongings and stuff. So I woke up that morning and was like, <sighs> "Okay." Like I felt like I was sort of going into battle a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and I just was really quiet. That's kind of what I tend to do for the sort of more emotional stuff. Like I randomly will fixate on one song that I will listen to ad nauseum, like over and over and over and over again. And it's weird, like my brain sort of weeks before or days before, like I'll just be shuffling, like listening to my music on my phone or something and something, I'll hear a song and I'm like, I'm going to save that for when I need to get emotional. I'll just be driving and it will elicit something like tears or a sense memory of something and it's like I store that in my brain going, oh, that song will do something for me. And it will help like grease the wheel a little bit. So I remember I fixated on one particular song. And I was listening to it over and do over and over. you remember the song? Yeah. <laughs> it was a, a Jeff Tweedy song. It was like from his solo record. I don't actually remember the name of the song now. Um, and it's not even that it's particularly sad, but it, it just elicited something in me that reminded me of something else. And... I listened, to, I just like kept myself in this like quiet, dark, empty, abandoned hospital room and like had my little headphones in and was just listening to the song over and over again. And I was reading the script and again, I think we have such a a great job uh, because so much of it's on the page and we feel such an attachment to this family and these characters. Like we've been telling this story now for two years and, you know, at that point, like thirty episodes over 30 episodes and so when I read in the stage directions like you know Rebecca crumples or you know she she like imagines the story of their life and you think about I'll get emotional thinking about it but it's like you see you see them getting married you see them meeting for the first time you see like the you see them having their babies like just the flashes of this life of that this couple shared and and just thinking of that's what's sort of like traversing this woman's mind at that moment in time when she's actually f- like physically locking into the fact that she that her husband's gone. Um, it's like so so much visit on the page. So I would just constantly like reread the, you know, couple pages before the scene and the couple pages after. And it just got it got me there. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And then the, the scene in the hospital where you see his dead body, mm-hmm. was that was Milo laying in the bed yeah. for your coverage?
1: For my coverage, um, I didn't expect that because, again, we shot our scene together earlier in the day, and mm. he was done. So for all intents and purposes... I thought like, okay, no, he's gone. You're like, and... Bring
0: in the animatronic baby.
1: Well, I bring in the...
0: <laughs> cue the animatronic baby.
1: I just had sort of prepared myself for like an empty hospital bed, and I was just gonna mm. have to use my imagination to imagine him lying there. And and this was, you know, I shot the scene with the doctor and the candy bar. After that. Um, before this scene of... We shot it sort of in chronological order, which is never usually the the way. So I thought that he was long gone by that point, and I wasn't even thinking that it was in the realm of possibility of him being there. So I am, like, you know, rocking back and forth in the dark room listening to music, and they're, they're like, We're ready for you. And I go to shoot the first take, and I walk in, like, guns blazing, about to be, like, how fucking crazy is this, Jack? This doctor just, like, is is trying to tell me that, like and I walk in and I see his body there
0: and you didn't know I at that did point.
1: not know and I was just I was shell shocked I was so stunned I did not and and he's there with like his shirt off like like it had been ripped open and they'd used the paddles like he was just lying there with his eyes open staring mm. at the ceiling and I was floored it was chilling and that's
0: the take they used that's like the take that they used
1: yeah wow yeah I didn't expect it and we We shot a, we did, I think, like maybe two more takes after that. And um, they like asked me to go up to him. None of this they ended up using, but like I went up to him. I had to like touch him. I had to talk to him. And he's just like lying there. It was, it was so harrowing. It was really, it was really
0: difficult. (laughs) When you walk in for the, the first moment you see him you do I, I don't remember I don't know if you remember a head tilt like a very subtle little head tilt where I feel like is when you it hits you where mm. this is not this actually he's dead yeah like this isn't the doctor fucking with me this yeah. is really happening and it was just Little things like that, I felt like lent such authenticity to the moment. I don't even know if you Thanks. remember doing the head tail. No. Go back and look at the head tail. <laughs> it was great. Big fan of the head tail. Oh, it's just it's, a subtle little thing. That's so was just, kind. It was... It I don't remember just anything about anything.
1: anything. Yeah. You just like, you, you, you hope that you can get yourself to the point where you're just like off and running. It's like you're winding yourself up and you're like, well, I don't know what's going to come out. Like you're... Right for, for me and my limited experience and I'm clearly like no expert. I'm not Meryl Streep. I don't have a process, but it's like, I have found that like, I just sort of try to get myself to the point where I feel like, okay, this is, this is, this is the best that I'm going to, you know, this is where I need to be, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then like everything just sort of comes from there. Like I wasn't thinking I need to cry right here. I need to, because people experience grief, obviously in a multitude of ways and, and I think it's reflected in in her disbelief initially when the doctor's telling her about her husband. I, I, that's a shade of grief. That's a shade of disbelief of not acknowledging, you know, what somebody's telling you. And so I just wanted to try and honor the moment. And like whatever was going to come out was going to come
0: out. I was wasn't really in control of it, you know. Do you feel like you still have something to prove as an actress? Because you started out as a singer, there it feels like there can be a double standard or sure. people can, you know, they picture you in one one cubby hole and they, you know, and that's all they see you as. Do you still feel
1: like that? Um, I mean, I've never been someone that has felt like I'm out to prove something maybe it's just because like, without sounding cheesy, I feel real lucky to have this job and have this opportunity. There are a million talented people out there. And why luck found me and opportunity found me and I have this job, I have no idea. So In that sense, I'm like, you know, and as an actor, it's like all you want is just to have the job. I think where I found myself frustrated was only being seen and sort of, I guess in a sense, like being pigeonholed or like being defined in a certain way. And that prevented me from working. I don't feel like the, the larger idea of proving something to like the world has ever compelled me, but wanting to show just that one person who would, you know, had the keys to, like, unlock the door for me, and that happened to be, in this case, Dan Fogelman. Like, Mm -hmm. he saw something in me that told him somehow that, like, I was the person to play this woman, and that's what I was looking for, that's what I was waiting, for, was, was, like, to prove to one person, to just convince one person to, like, take a shot on me, and that I wasn't just, you know, Mandy, the pop star, or, like, the young woman in romantic comedies or something, like, mm-hmm. there were other shades to who I was and my, my abilities. so... I love that this job has has afforded me like you know new opportunities and and for people to just see that I'm an adult now. You know mm-hmm. I'm a 34-year-old woman and this is the first time I've played a mother and a wife and a grandma and a grandma. <laughs> so it's like I, I feel like in that sense it's it's opened the door and I can do so much more than than you know even 2 years ago people sort of regarded me as one thing and now maybe they they see a different side.
0: You and Milo watch episodes together? We do. How did that start?
1: Uh, I think as we spend so much time together and we spend so much time at work and, you know, just everything's sort of done on the lot. Like most of our work is shot on the lot. We shoot on the Paramount lot. And our writers' rooms are there and our production office and editing and all of it's sort of done there, and Dan's office is there. And so we just – I don't know how it started. Maybe because Dan is like the most – he's the best boss ever, but he's so enthusiastic and so excited to like talk about the show, show you scenes like come to my office, and he'll like (laughs) get on his computer and like show you like unedited scenes of of stuff that you're not in, by the way. It's like he's just so excited about everything. So it must have started with Dan's – enthusiasm to show milo and i like maybe something that we were in or something else and and then it just kind of like became tradition when there was a new episode coming up because for network television like you are sort of working at a clip so we'll start out like we'll start shooting in july and we won't air until september but We'll catch up very quickly. So no, I
0: remember like watching your Instagram and I saw like scenes <laughs> from what turned out to be the finale that aired like five days yeah, later. Yeah, exactly,
1: Totally. <laughs> like by the so end, you're geez. just like racing to the finish line. So, so we'll get done with episodes and, you know, like two weeks later or something, we'll be watching them in Dan's office, like the day before they air. Yeah. And it just is like this fun little thing that we get to do together and like, you know, sit and watch and, and marvel at how fantastic everybody is
0: are you do you watch quietly do you does one of you talk a lot during it like what does that look like we
1: watch quietly okay we like just he dan has like a little screening room as part of his office so there's like a couple couches in there and just like a regular tv and and someone will like pop in the dvd for us and we'll sit there and like we know how to work all the tv and all the remotes and stuff now and we'll just sometimes we'll bring our lunch in there with us and yeah it's like occasionally we'll, we'll, like, make remarks and laugh about, like, oh, my God. Oh, they use that take. Oh, that's interesting. Or, but mostly, like, we'll save our commentary until afterwards when we're, like, walking back to, you know, our trailer or something like that and, and talk about what we thought.
0: So you had a big four-year consideration event last night. Yes. Um, and it was revealed during it that uh, scenes from the series finale have already been shot. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. Did you know are, were, are you in them? Maybe? Okay, regardless of whether you're in them or not, can <laughs> you say what the, did you know, did, did the cast know when they were shooting these scenes that these were for the series finale? or it was just like, you know, some of
1: us did. I think some of us did and some of us didn't. And maybe some of us still don't recognize or realize because it was all sort of like thrown in with like a bunch of other work.
0: Wow, interesting.
1: It gives me great faith in just the overall project and the fact that Dan and the writers, like, they have to know. They have to, because they have to know how it ends and informs everything. So the fact that, like, we're not flying by the seat of our pants gives me great just solace and, like, okay, we we know what we're doing and we know how, we know where we end up. And so, like, there are all these little threads of how We'll get back there, I guess.
0: And as a viewer, I have to say, it's it's very reassuring. And it, right. Because so much t- you know, you, you you feel like, and and it's the reality that they are flying by the seat of their pants and that they have maybe a season or two figured out and then they're just going to kind of wing it as they no. go along. It's like, we never knew we'd go this far. He
1: said he always knew too. He always knew how it ended. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful, of course, in like typical Dan fashion. It's like stunning and heartbreaking. Um, but it's it's... It it makes me feel good too that you know because I've loved shows sometimes where you're like oh they lost the plot like they lost the thread and I mm. felt like they knew what they were doing early on and now I'm not so sure and um, but I feel like it it's it's such a necessity with a show like this and so many different moving parts and characters and timelines and like it all has to be leading somewhere and you got to know where that place is.
0: When do you go back to work?
1: Uh, Mid July. Mid
0: July. Mm-hmm. I I got this sense and that when your last day of shooting that everybody is really bummed to, to leave and yeah you, you don't get a lot of that from mm-hmm. actors who are on an hour-long drama working such long hours usually they're like "Ooh, it's summer we are getting out of here we can't wait for the break um it's that's genuine isn't it it is
1: it's I, I feel so cheesy to say at this point, but like we really do love each other. And I was just with Dan and he's like, I hope that stays the
0: case for <laughs> I the I was just gonna say, like, show. oh my god, I hope we're a year from a year from now and it's I, still the case. i
1: like I can't see how it wouldn't be the case. Like
0: I think like it would have already changed if it was right? gonna change. Right? Yes. Once it became a hit, I feel like if, if it was going to happen, it would have happened.
1: It's everyone's lives changed exponentially. Like no one was left in the dust. Like we all sort of have like gone through, weathered this like m- crazy, incredible, like t- t- gratifying experience together. And we continue to, and it's like we're lockstep with each other and recognizing how tremendously lucky we are to have this opportunity and it never happens. And it's one in a million. And, um, and, they also just did a great job casting. Like, they casted really lovely human beings. They're all terrific performers, and I, I think they're, like, the, the best at what they do, all of them. All seven <laughs> or eight of us. Um, but I, I think they're just terrific humans, too. They're, they're people that you genuinely, genuinely want to spend time with, and to be on this journey with them is it's just remarkable. They're great. They're great. And you you know everybody at this point. It's like they're, they're all lovely people and funny and humble and nobody has an ego. There's not a bad apple in the bunch. We're all – we have a group text chain. Like everyone's excited for all the other stuff that everybody has going on. Chrissy is like a bestseller. Mm-hmm. Sterling's in a bunch of movies. Milo's doing a movie. Like everybody has such exciting stuff happening outside of the show that we're all like super supportive of. But at the end of the day – It it feels like the most important thing to all of us is like this family that we've created and the work that we all get to do together. And that's really cool.
0: Mandy, thanks for coming in. Thank you.